everybody and welcome to that wrestling show the podcast where all pro wrestling matters i'm your host bill yankovey and this is quite a week of wrestling coverage to be talking about here because this week on the show going to be talking about the uh, the pwi pardon me the pwi year-end awards they recently just came out and i got my magazine in the mail this week so i'm going to go through each of the nama or each of the categories and who won plus yes it finally was released the wrestling observer newsletter hall of fame class of 2021 was announced this week it is quite a very interesting list and quite a very interesting result in the process. And I'm going to be talking about how WWE is being sued. All that and much more. So let's dive into some wrestling news. And the first bit of news is injuries and the Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble is only two weeks away and two big, well, one big name and a name that was starting to come up are not going to be a part of the Royal Rumble event. Last week, Sasha Banks tweeted out after an, a scary incident that happened at a house show that she was, quote, doing good. Well, I guess that doing good is not our version of doing good. Because it was reported by WWE.com that Sasha Banks had a bruised calcaneus bone that is in her foot. She will be out of action for six to eight weeks. That's right, she will not be a part of the Royal Rumble. And the rumors that I had heard, and again, you know, some of these some of these could be true, some of these you gotta take with a with a grain of salt, is that Sasha was gonna win. She was going to win the female or the women's Royal Rumble match this year. And now that she has this injury and she's going to be out for this length of time, she's not in the Royal Rumble match, and I have no idea at this point who is go who the favorite is going to be to win. Although I'll have that talk in a couple of weeks, um, when I preview the Royal Rumble event. But Sasha, I think before this injury was a heavy favorite to win the Women's Royal Rumble. It seemed that way. It seemed like it was going to go that way. But things happen and plans change. And this one, this is one that, you know, it changes. And Sasha is now out of the Royal Rumble. Another individual who will more than likely not be a part of the Royal Rumble this year is Xavier Woods. He revealed on the G4 live stream of Attack of the Show that he suffered an injury to his plantaris muscle of his calf while executing a DDT from outside into the ring during a match previously. He is said to be out 
four to six weeks. So, the King is out of the Royal Rumble. I really don't think that Xavier Woods was going to win the Royal Rumble. He probably would have had a good performance in there, but with him out of it, that opens up a spot for somebody to get in the Royal Rumble, actually. This is an opportunity that WWE could take advantage of if they're smart. Of course, the key is if they're smart. Um, and give somebody an opportunity to be in the Royal Rumble to take his, you know, be his replacement in the match. Um, and the other news really with the Royal Rumble match is the list of returns for the women's Royal Rumble match that Charlotte announced during SmackDown last week. And it is, it is a list I will say that, but there is one particular name that has really caught the attention of everybody. So, these are the women who are going to make a one-night return, well, at least for the time being, for the WWE. The Bella Twins, Lita, Michelle McCool, Kelly Kelly... Summer Rae, and Mickey James. That's right, Mickey James, the Knockouts Women's Champion, the, the Impact Wrestling Knockouts Champion, is a participant in the Women's Royal Rumble match. And it's very interesting that they were able to get her to be in the Royal Rumble, to be a participant in the Royal Rumble match. It, it makes me wonder if there's going to be something that happens during later during the year. Like, I don't know, maybe a, a possible induction into the Hall of Fame of the WWE, which, which, you know, let's be honest, is not out of the realm of possibility. It is, it, it, there is a possibility that could happen, but we don't know, but it's going to be pretty interesting and pretty cool to see a wrestler not in WWE that is not contracted, you know, to a legend's contract or is in the Hall of Fame that is going to be in the Royal Rumble. And people are talking about, oh my god, the Forbidden Door has been opened. And then you get news that there's going to be a male wrestler that doesn't work in WWE that's supposed to enter the Rumble. And there's no clue who that is. Like I don't know yet if any name has come up you know, there are so many possibilities, you know, I, I there are a lot of people that are like, oh, it's going to be somebody from AEW, it's going to be somebody from AEW. Well, maybe it's not. What if it's somebody from Impact again? There's that possibility. Maybe it's somebody from the NWA, maybe, maybe New Japan, maybe Ring of Honor. We don't know who it's going to be. And that's kind of the excitement of the Royal Rumble is when you get these genuine surprises, you don't know who it's going to be. So, 
I guess we'll just have to wait and see where this is all going to go in the very near future. Speaking of Ring of Honor, Ring of Honor made their official announcement this week that Super Card of Honor is happening in Dallas, Texas, WrestleMania weekend. It is Friday night, April the 1st at the Curtis Colwell Center in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Tickets for this event will go on sale for Honor Club members January the 21st, that's next Friday, at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central. And for the general public, general public, pardon me, uh, tickets will go on sale January 28th at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central. And to further go into the story of Ring of Honor, uh... Brian Alvarez reported this week of the titles that Ring of Honor is going to be focusing on uh, going forward, or, or at least for the time being, because it will be the men's title, the Ring of Honor World title, the Ring of Honor World's women's title, and the tag team titles. So... What is that going to do for the television title, the pure title, and the six-man tag team titles? Well, it's kind of put in a very interesting scenario, a very interesting situation, because if you think about it, um, let's start with the world six-man tag team titles. At the time, it was a good idea. Um... You know, because the thing with Trios action was kind of getting big in the U.S. And then um, down in Mexico, it's a very huge thing. But it never... I, I feel like that title never really caught on uh, with Ring of Honor. I, I, I don't think that title ever really caught on here in the United States, and I think because of that, the idea of doing the titles, you know, like, it's one of the few bad ideas, let me say that, as a Ring of Honor fan, it's one of the few bad ideas that the company has had in its history. I don't see an independent promotion wanting these titles. If Chikara was still around, I will say this. If Chikara was still around, they would have gladly taken those titles. Would have gladly been like, hey, we do trios matches. We'll take the titles. We'll do it. So... I think there was a missed opportunity for the six-man tag team titles to maybe have a continuation of life, un unless they do something in Mexico, which I really don't know, or if they want to maybe unify it with the never-open-weight uh, six-man tag titles, which is possible. I mean, it's not out of the realm, but that would have to take a lot of work to do. So I really don't know where the six-man tag titles are going to go uh, 
I I think of the three, that's the one that has the best shot of not having a life at this point. With the world television title, that's another interesting situation because that was, for a while, their secondary title. That was their mid-card title until they got the pure title back, which I'll talk about momentarily. And, you know, it served its purpose, it did a good job, and the individuals that held the belt, and this is one of the things that I think is successful with any championship, is the individuals that end up winning the world title in their promotion eventually. I mean, I'm just going to read off the list of names that held the TV title and then ended up winning the world title in Ring of Honor. Eddie Edwards, Christopher Daniels, Jay Lethal, Roderick Strong, Adam Cole, Matt Taven. Six guys. Six guys who held the TV title ended up becoming Ring of Honor world champion at some point in time. That is a good list. That's a very credible list. And, you know, I, I I don't know. Maybe, maybe that one stays? I'm not really sure. I mean, where, where would it go? That's the question. Because with Impact, they've got the X Division. I, they don't need another secondary belt, I think, for the men. I really don't. Because you have, you know, the digital media title, which just came out a few months ago. I don't see that happening. MLW has the national heavyweight title. They don't need that. Unless it can be... Again, this is another situation where maybe this gets merged. Maybe merge it with the NWA television title. That could be something. Or maybe it goes to a different promotion. Maybe one that we're not thinking of. And maybe that's where it goes. That's a possibility. And then the pure title. This is the one that kind of breaks my heart. Because we, we had the tournament a year and a half ago. One of the greatest wrestling tournaments I have ever seen in my life. An unbelievable match. Unbelievable un unbelievable matches. An unbelievable tournament. Which was won by Jonathan Gresham at the end. Here, it's like, is this one where... Maybe that gets defended on the independence? Because that would kind of make the best sense, I would think. Maybe just have that defended on the independence scene. I think that would be a cool, uh, a cool title to have defended all around the independent circuit. It, it, it wouldn't necessarily be a world championship, but still, that's a title that has lineage, has history... And would be very interesting to see where that goes. Um, so I, for me, 
in order of which titles I would like to see stay f- with the most being at the top, with, with the bottom being the least, I'd say the pure title, the TV title, and then the six-man tag title. Those would be That would be my order. And then maybe if things get going again with Ring of Honor, maybe bring one of the titles back. Maybe bring the TV title first. Maybe. Or bring the world title back. Or the pure title, I mean. I really don't know. I really don't know how they're going to do it. I'm not really sure. So, it is going to be a very interesting situation that is going to happen. And probably something that we're going to have to keep our eye on for the next several months as Ring of Honor slowly but surely gets ready for their return on April the 1st, WrestleMania weekend. Okay, let's get to some of the big stories of the week, and we have some big stories to talk about. And the first one that I want to bring up is one that we don't really hear that often anywhere. What I mean by that is wrestling promotion to wrestling promotion. Because earlier this week, Major League Wrestling filed an antitrust lawsuit against WWE. And I want to read, I want to read this press release that MLW issued to PWInsider.com that Mike Johnson received. And I'm going to read the full thing. Professional wrestling company Major League Wrestling filed a lawsuit today against World Wrestling Entertainment, Inc. The federal court antitrust lawsuit is based on WWE's ongoing attempts to undermine competition in and monopolize the professional wrestling market by interfering with MLW's contracts and business prospects. As described in the, com- in the complaint, WWE pressured third parties to abandon contracts and prospective relationships with MLW. WWE's misconduct included disrupting every level of MLW's business, including a major streaming deal for MLW, which would have been transformative for the company. MLW also alleged in the complaint that in early 2021, After MLW announced that it was in talks with Vice TV to air MLW programs on Vice TV, a then-WWE executive warned Vice TV that WWE owner Vince McMahon was pissed that Vice TV was airing MLW programs and that Vice TV should stop working with MLW. The Vice TV executive responded that WWE's conduct was illegal and an antitrust violation, with the WWE executive responding that she could not control McMahon. WWE has been wrongfully depriving its competitors of critical opportunities for many years, but its latest conduct has been even more unconscionable. (laughs) I apologize, I'm going to try to pronounce this word. Unconscionable said Court Bauer, CEO of MLW. I think we speak for the rest of the professional wrestling world when we say that this anti-competitive behavior has to stop. 
WWE's ongoing misconduct has hurt fans of professional wrestling and competition in the professional wrestling industry. Through this lawsuit, MLW seeks to recover its losses due to WWE's interference and to enjoin WWE from future interference. The case is captioned MLW Media LLC versus World Wrestling Entertainment Inc. MLW is represented by Castlewitz Benson Torres LLP. Uh, PWInsider.com is working at this time on acquiring a copy of the lawsuit and has reached out to WWE for comment. Uh, WWE did release a statement on this lawsuit and it says, quote, uh, it says that I have to get rid of an ad. No. Uh, <laughs> Basically, it says that WWE has no merits and intends to vigorously fight back on this lawsuit. Okay, let's talk about this. Because Major League Wrestling, it has a following. It has a following. I mean, I put up on our website, thatwrestlingshow.com, uh, news reports of upcoming MLW events and news uh, whenever I get them. They have a good roster. They, the way they distribute their weekly shows is a good idea because they do it first on YouTube, which is seen basically all over the world. And then on Saturdays, they have that episode shown on BN Sports, B-E-I-N. They had the special with MLW or with Vice TV. I want to say it aired in the fall of 2021. Unlike WWE, Major League Wrestling does not do, you know, show. They don't go on the road 300 plus days a year. They don't do live shows. They do TV tapings. And that's really about it. Court Bauer, at one point, used to work for WWE. I do want to mention that. He did work for WWE at one point. I don't know if this is something that maybe it's against Court Bauer. I don't know. I can't answer that. Will this eventually go to court? Will this be settled out of court? There's so many possibilities. I really don't know. The one thing I do know is this, and somebody mentioned this in a group uh, on Facebook earlier this week. If this trial goes to Connecticut, if this trial ends up in Connecticut, it's going to be thrown out. Nothing's going to happen with WWE. And I absolutely agree with that, 100%. If this, if this goes on, and if it goes to court, if it goes to Connecticut, MLW is not winning this suit. If it stays in California, which is where I believe the lawsuit was filed, then there's maybe a chance. There's maybe a chance that a trial happens. It is very possible. I'm not a legal expert. I did not sleep at a Holiday Inn Express last night, but 
with the way the world is going today, who knows what will happen. Dave Meltzer is in the news this week. Uh, one, for a good reason, which I'll talk about in a moment. But one for not a good reason. And this is one that might come back to bite him. Badly. So, yesterday, uh, Dave Meltzer put out the latest... Uh, Observer Newsletter, which I will be talking about momentarily. And one of the stories that was mentioned in the article, or in the newsletter, was how WWE is going to run an event in Saudi Arabia in February. February 19th is the date. And they are taking the Elimination Chamber with it. So there's going to be an Elimination Chamber match more than likely at this upcoming Saudi Arabia show. In in the newsletter, and I'm going to read what he said, because... This is going to surprise some people, I really think. Dave Meltzer wrote in the newsletter, and I quote, I guess they decided to book the chamber in Saudi Arabia because Auschwitz has COVID restrictions this month. Yikes. Yikes. Holy shit! I would not even think of saying that. Um, so, eventually, a gentleman by the name of Danny Stone took the Twitter. And he had the following reply. And, and I quote, Hello, at Dave Meltzer, W-O-N. This isn't just bad taste. It's ill-informed and dangerous. Happy to take you through why. It's Holocaust Memorial Day, the 27th of January. You should be sharing educational material like this. Post a YouTube video. Not that flippant garbage. To then, Dave Meltzer says, and I quote, as someone who lost multiple family members in the Holocaust, I take it beyond seriously. The line was to bring up the question of using the term elimination chamber in Saudi Arabia. Obviously, it was meant as a message, but I apologize for those who were offended by it. <sighs> okay, uh... Where do I even begin with this? Okay, the first thing I'm going to begin with is I've learned today that Dave Meltzer has Jewish family members. And he might be Jewish. I, I, I actually don't know if he is. Um, so he um, had family members in, you know, that were killed during the Holocaust. 
which is a terrible thing to have happened. I think... Those are the words I want to say. I think I understand where Dave was coming from with the quote after he explained it, saying that he was using it, you know, to describe the Saudi Arabia show because of, you know, the ridiculous number of murders and deaths and what happened to that newspaper reporter uh, many years ago, you know, being killed and is like the the prince is like I don't know what happened I don't know what you're talking about. Should that comment have been made? I don't know. Um, as someone who is not Jewish, has no ties to Auschwitz or the Holocaust, I would not have made that joke, I, or I would not have made that statement. I would not have made that comment. Um, I don't know if this is going to bite Dave, or Dave badly because he's made some comments in the past lately that are kind of out, you know, in the outfield. But this one, I don't know. Although I will say I think he made a good defense of what he said. That's just something I would. Something, you know, related to that, you know, you could use other things and then people would still be pissed off. People would still be upset being like, oh, how dare you compare this to that? So it's kind of a lose-lose situation for Dave in this. And because of, you know, this politically correct culture that we live in. And people are going to be like, oh, how dare he? How dare he make a comment like that? Blah, 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 blah. Read the tweet. Read the tweet that he put out today. And then decide if he should have made that comment or not. Personally, I don't think he should have. But I understand the comparison that he was attempting to make. Alright, now, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter finally, this week, released their Hall of Fame results in the class of 2021. In total, three individuals and a trios act made the Hall of Fame for the class of 2021. And those individuals are Promoter Don Owen, promoter Jim Crockett Jr., the trios Los Brazos, and, in his first year of eligibility, Kazuchika Okada. Those are the individuals that got enshrined or got voted in to the Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. Uh, to break it down, Don Owen last year had 53% of votes. This year he had 61, so he just got in. You need 60% to be voted in. But this one is amazing. Jim Crockett Jr., who passed away within this past year, in the last voting, received 36% of votes. He got 
82% of the votes this year in his region. Amazing. Los Bra- uh, Los Brazos had 53% last year. This year got 86% votes getting in. So they were a runaway. And Okada, this was his first year on the ballot. His first year of eligibility. 92% of votes for his region got him in. So, this puts Okada in a very rare category for the Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. As voting began in 1998, Okada joins the following individuals. And I will tell you what the category is in a moment. He joins Kurt Angle, Medico Asesino, or the medic, Steve Austin, Dos Queros, John Cena, Gato, Akira Hokuto, Kenta Kobashi, Jushin Liger, Takashi Matsunaga, Shinsuke Nakamura, Manami Toyota, The Rock, Jim Ross, and Kazushi Sakuraba. The list First Ballot Hall of Famers for the Observer Newsletter. That is the entire list. It's not a lot. It's less than 20, but Okada made that made it. Quite quite a quite a feat there for the Rainmaker. Now, uh Crockett, Los Brazos, and Okada join Another interesting list. They join Kenta Kobashi, Jushin Liger, The Rock, Kazushi Sakuraba, Brian Danielson, Mick McManus, Shinya Hashimoto, Manami Toyota, Steve Austin, Brock Lesnar, and Rey Mysterio in this list. The 75% club. That yeah, these are the people who got 75% or more votes. And it's only 14. 14 ever. So, Okada's 92% makes him third on this list. Behind Jushin Liger's 95 and Kenta Kobashi's 98%. Kenta Kobashi is the closest to a unanimous vote. That's how close it is. Los Bra- uh, I'm trying to do the R's, but I can't really do it for some reason today. Uh, Los Brazos, their 86% has them tied for fourth with The Rock and Kazushi Sakuraba. And Jim Crockett Jr. with his 82% has him seventh on that list of the 75% club. Now, uh, before I break down the rest of the ballot and all that, because I'm a Hall of Fame type of guy, I, I do that with the Baseball Hall of Fame, Um, I want to talk about the people that got in. Don Owen is long overdue. I mean long overdue. 
overdue. He was the promoter for the Portland Territory. So many unbelievable talents wrestled in the Portland Territory at one point in time or another. And I'm, I'm going to read this list of, of people that wrestled in Portland at one or in the Portland area at one time. This is a who's who. Adrian Adonis, Art Barr, Jesse Barr, Brady Boone, Matt Boone, Tony Boone, Haystacks Calhoun, Colonel De Beers, The Destroyer, The Dynamite Kid, uh, Ron Fuller, Superstar Billy Graham, The Guerreros, Billy Jack Haynes, Kurt Hennig, Larry Hennig, Don Leo Jonathan, Rocky Johnson, Gene and Nick Kaniski, Magnum TA, Rick Martell, Mill Mascaris, Velvet McIntyre, Butch Miller from the Bushwhackers, Gorilla Monsoon, Kendo Nakasaki, Rip Oliver, Pat Patterson, uh, Bull Ramos, Rip Rogers, um, Buzz Sawyer, Brett Sawyer, Bart Sawyer, Greg Valentine, Jesse Ventura, Luke Williams, Jay Youngblood, Tom Zink, and this one guy I think you all know, Roddy Roddy Piper. That is an unbelievable list of individuals who at one point in time or another wrestled in the Portland Territory. And then you also have to think how long Don Owen promoted. He promoted, I think, all the way into the 1990s. That's how long he was a wrestling promoter. And his influence was so big on so many people. Roddy Piper, I think, is the biggest one that he had an influence on. And I'll tell you how big of an impact that Don Owen had on Roddy Roddy Piper, if you've ever heard the story. Or if you have if you haven't heard the story, this is one of the great great things I've ever heard. When Piper joined Vince Jr. Uh, in nineteen eighty-four for the for the national run, obviously Vince had all the different uh, you know, territories he wanted to go, all the different places he wanted to do, you know, wanted to take over. Roddy Piper asked Vince McMahon, do not take the Portland Territory. Do not run a show against Don Owen. And to the best of my knowledge, he never did. And Vince would let Piper wrestle on Don Owen's shows. That's how much respect Don Owen had from the business, from professional wrestling, that Vince McMahon, who was asked by Roddy Piper, whatever you do, don't go to Portland, don't wrestle the Portland territory, don't wrestle, you know, don't do a show against Don Owen, because I'm not going to do it. That's how much Don Owen meant to Roddy Piper. Think about that. Jim Crockett Jr. was really the first guy to go after Vince in the national run with the Mid-Atlantic Territory. Um, 
he had taken over the territory after his brother-in-law got caught cheating and had a divorce from his wife. That's a true story. And he ran it from the late 70s really into 1988 when he sold it to Ted Turner. And, you know, he made the deal with Vince where he paid Vince to take his 6.05 time slot on Saturday nights, where it's like, oh, Jim Crockett paid for WrestleMania 1. But if you look at those episodes of World Championship Wrestling from 85 to 87, even into 88, there was something special there. And Jim Crockett Jr. was the guy that led the way for that promotion. Without Jim Crockett Jr., there would have never been a Starcade. If it wasn't for Jim Crockett, he would have never brought in, you know, a, a Dusty Rhodes. Would have never, maybe ever had a Ric Flair. So many, so many wonderful talents, you know, could have gone to other places. But Jim Crockett had him. Jim Crockett Jr. had him. And they were a legit number two for a long, long time. And it, you know, it's a testament. You know, it shows you how much um, he, you know, was successful in pro wrestling. And, you know, if he hadn't, you know, if he hadn't really spent a lot of money and, you know, depending on how you look at it, um maybe who knows what would happen who who knows what would happen um los brazos uh famous mexican trios group uh comprised of el brazo brazo de oro and brazo de plata um they were one of the big trios in mexico uh Unfortunately, all of them passed away with uh, Brazo de Plata. The fine, the 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 one that outlived, I guess you could say outlived or lived the longest, uh, passing away this year or this past year. But they had quite a legacy, as they are brothers, and they are like. They're right now in third generation. I'm looking at this. Third generation wrestlers. And they have quite a legacy that is being lived up. And it's pretty impressive to say the least. And then, of course, there is Kazuchika Okada. Uh, Maybe the best wrestler in the world today. Uh, He, to me is on the verge, in my mind, of he could end up being the greatest wrestler I've ever seen. And for a long time, I was like, Ric Flair's the greatest wrestler I've ever seen. When Okada's career is over, Okada might surpass Ric Flair in that statement. And he has had this longevity. It's 10 years of success and he's become you know the golden boy for new japan and 
all the legendary matches that he's had. The feuds, Tanahashi, Omega, Abushi, Jay White, Will Ospreay, uh, Suzuki. It, you know, it can go on and on and on. But it is absolutely amazing what Okada has done already. And there's still time for him to do even more. Uh... <laughs> That's just how crazy it is. So congratulations to all of them for getting inducted into the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. Now, what I like to do is discuss the next 10. The 10 that just missed out on getting in and how they did on the ballots. So, the one that really just missed getting in is Mystico or Caristico the original Sin Cara last year he had 33% of the votes for Mexico in Mexico you need 75 votes to get in this year 59.7% he was one vote short of getting in one vote short of getting in this year. Uh, then you have Sergeant Slaughter, who went up in voting from 53% to 58%, so he missed out by 10. Uh, from there, Rollerball Mark Rocco, he went up from 54% to 58%. Bobby Davis, his first year on the ballot, 56% of the votes. Kota Abushi went up from 38% to 54%. Enrique Torres went up from 28% to 52%. Stanley Weston went up from 39% to 47%. Johnny Rougeau, the father, uh, or, no, is it the, I think it's the father or brother or uncle, I don't remember, of Jacques and Raymond Rougeau. Uh, he went up from 25% to 47%. Akira Tao went up from 39% to 46%. And Larry Matisic, well, he didn't go anywhere. He stayed at 46% uh, this year. As far as declines in votes, Johnny Saint went down from 52% to 45%. Sputnik Monroe went down a little bit from 43% to 39%. Ishii only went down a percent from 39 to 38%. Ted Turner went down from 42% to 37%. Uh, Jim Johnston went down from 36% to 33%. Uh, let's see who else. Edge went down from 44% to 32%. Uh, let's see who else. Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson went down drastically from 42% to 28%. Randy Orton went down from 34% to 27%. Um, I know I'm saying um a lot. I apologize. That's just how I am. Hayabusa went down 31% to 23%. Bob Armstrong went down 29% to 21%. Rocky Johnson went down 28%. To 20%. Ricky Starr went down from 20% to 19%. Bill Goldberg went down from 28% to 18%. Uh, 
George Scott went down from 24% to 19%. Joe Higuchi went down from 20% to 18%. Adrian Street went down from 19% to 18%. Otto Vons went down from 22% to 18%. Dave Brown went almost 20% down from 36% to 17%. Uh, Jerry Briscoe went down from 18% to 16%. Pompero Furpo only went down a percent from 17 to 16%. Miko Sanamora went down from 33% to 16%. Spiros Arion went down 27% to 16%. Uh, Von Brauners went down only a percent from 15 to 13. The Mongolian stomper Archie Goldie went down 15 to 13%. Kendall Nakasaki went down from 19% to 13%. Killer Carl Cox went down from 17% to 12%. And Satoshi Kojima and Hiroyoshi Tenzan went down from 15% to 10%. Now, who are the people that got dropped from the ballot this year? Basically, these are the individuals who had less than 10% of votes from a region and therefore will not be on next year's ballots. Some will probably make you laugh, and some might make you scratch your head. But the ones that are off the ballot next year are the Hollywood Blondes of Buddy Roberts and Jerry Brown, Buddy Colt, the fabulous ones, Stan Lane and Steve Kern, Nikki Bella, Charlotte Flair, Kamala, Rick Martell, John Moxley, Seth Rollins, The Ultimate Warrior, Hiyoko Inoue, Katsuyori Shibata, Takashi Sugiyora, Psycho Clown, John De Silva, Roger Delaporte, and Andre Bolet, Teakaki Kidani, and Stephanie McMahon all went down. Now, an individual who is going to be taken off the ballot next year because uh, they have the a 15-year 50% rule, basically. If you're on the ballot for 15 years and you don't have at least 50% of the votes, you're off the ballot. That is Mr. Wrestling 2, Johnny Walker. The individuals that will be dropped next year if they don't get at least 50% of the votes are Sergeant Slaughter, Enrique Torres, and Rocky Johnson. It did not look good for Rocky Johnson, like I mentioned. Slaughter, I think, is fine. Enrique Torres, I I looked at it, might not be good for him. Added to the ballot next year for 2022. Argentina Rocca and Miguel Perez, Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood, Akira Tao and Toshiaki Kawada, Jack and Jerry Briscoe, Roman Reigns, Becky Lynch, Roy Welch, Shingo Takagi, and Rossi Ogawa. A couple of things that just burst out at me when reading this and seeing this is Steamboat, Kawada, and Jack Briscoe are already in the Observer Hall of Fame. They do not have, at this point in time, anyone that has been on the ballot or has been inducted in the Hall of Fame twice. Could next year be a first? Be interesting to see. What will also be interesting to see is how Roman Reigns and Becky Lynch both do on the ballots. Um, obviously, with the results, Charlotte is off the ballot. Moxley and Rollins are off the ballot. So it might not look good for Reigns and Lynch 
to get in, or they probably won't get in next year. They will get votes, but I don't know if either one of them is going to get that 10% to stay on. If I had to bet, it might be Reigns because Reigns has had the longer run, but Becky could still be on it. You know, it, it really remains to be seen. Um, as far as people I think that could get in next year, I mean, Mystico was so close. He was one vote short of getting in, folks. Um, I could see him getting in. I could see Slaughter getting in next year. Uh, Mark Rocco's an interesting case. You know, the European voting. They, I don't think they've had anyone in a long time from Europe uh, get voted in. Uh, watch out for Kota Ibushi. I think Ibushi could be someone that gets in next year. Other than that, uh, remains to be seen how it'll turn out. But a very interesting voting result for the 2021 Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame with the big headliner being Kazuchika Okada. 92% of votes in his region getting into the Hall of Fame on the first eligibility. Alright, now uh, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine recently came out with their newest edition of their year-end awards. And if you haven't seen uh, who won the awards, I'm going to tell you right now, it is completely dominated by All Elite Wrestling. They won basic... I'm just going to say it right now. They won... They had someone win in every award that they could have had a possibility to win with the exception of one. And uh, I'll get to that in a little bit. I had to get some water. So uh, let's go through each of the categories, how it, how it ended up voting-wise. Uh, the Rookie of the Year, Jade Cargill was voted Rookie of the Year, 35% voted for her, followed by Braun Breaker at 28%, Bad Bunny got votes, believe it or not, at 20%, and Brock Anderson had 6% of the votes. Bad Bunny finishing third in that category, very, very interesting. Most Improved Wrestler of the Year, that award went to Britt Baker with 22% uh, of votes there. Then a tie for second, Bobby Lashley and Trevor Murdoch. Yeah, the NWA World Heavyweight Champion tied for second at 12%. And Deanna Perrazzo, the new Ring of Honor Women's World Champion, at 10% of the votes. And this is not the end. For Britt Baker. Uh, I definitely agree with that. I think Britt definitely improved tremendously. Um, as far as Rookie of the Year goes, the, the only thing that holds me back from saying Braun should have won it was he kind of came in late towards the end of 2021. Otherwise, I probably would have said he should win that award. Uh, comeback of the Year... CM Punk winning the award, 44% there. Sting at 15%. Christian Cage at 13%. And Becky Lynch at 
for a while, I really thought Christian was going to win that award because the his 2021 was such a great year. But when CM Punk came back, it was kind of like, yeah, I think we know who's going to win this award. Um, but no, I'm I'm glad that Christian was able to get votes and finish in the top four because he had a very good year. Uh, now, to the one award that AEW did not win, the Inspirational Wrestler of the Year. And that award went to Edge, who got 24% of votes. Uh, Bianca Belair was second with 17%. And then Big E and Mickey James tied for third at 10%. Um... Honestly, thinking about it now, probably would have gone with Bianca on this one. Um, not saying that what Edge did was inspirational, but he'd already been back. But Bianca's story is just absolutely amazing. Yes, she was an athlete, but had no wrestling background, no wrestling experience whatsoever. And I even said... Three year, three or four years ago on a takeover, that like Bianca was not that good. I did not enjoy it, but she improved. She got better, and she's ended up becoming one of my favorite female wrestlers right now. So good for her for at least finishing second in the category. Most popular wrestler of the year, CM Punk, winning that award, twenty five percent. There, uh, followed by Adam Page at 11, Big E with 10, Bianca Belair at 9. Uh, I don't even think there's even a contest of who would have won that award. The most hated wrestler of the year. This is another one. It's like, yeah, they you gotta got this one right. MJF winning it with 44% of votes. The second place person was Roman Reigns at 26%. Oh my gosh. Uh, and then Kenny Omega at 9%. And Baron Corbin at 6%. Baron Corbin getting some love here. But yeah, it was MJF. He, he had to win that award. Feud of the Year. Uh, this was an interesting one. I really don't know which one I would have picked. But uh, the readers... Went with Chris Jericho and MJF as the feud of the year. 34% of votes there. Uh, Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair was second at 12. Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa at 10. And Edge and Roman Reigns at 8%. I really don't know which one I would have picked for the feud of the year. Um, I, I guess I'm fine with Jericho and MJF, but... Adam Page and Kyle O'Reilly was kind of a pretty good feud there. Uh, a category that, well, AEW could not have qualified for. The Independent Wrestler of the Year. 42% of the votes went to Nick and Gage. MDK all day, folks. Nick Gage won the award there. Followed by Trish Adora with 21% of the votes. Way to go, Trish. Second place. Did really good in the in the Ring of Honor Women's Tournament. Really impressed me. I'd like to see more of her in, uh, with in-ring competition. Tony Deppen, who really won me over this year, 
was third at 7%, and Effie at fourth with 6%. Okay, now I'm going to get to my one complaint for the for these awards. And again, this is voted upon by the readers of Pro Wrestling Illustrated Magazine. The match of the year. Okay? Match of the year. We had a, an amazing, amazing number of matches that either could have won match of the year or could have been in consideration for match of the year. It really was a lot. But in the end, with 22% of votes, the match of the year voted upon by the readers of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa, the Lights Out match, the basically the no-holds-barred match, was voted the match of the year. The Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers in the Steel Cage was second. Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks from WrestleMania Night 1 was third. Walter and Ilya Dragunov from TakeOver was fourth. Okay. I'm going to say this very nicely. I like Britt Baker. I think she's a good wrestler. I like Thunder Rosa. I think she's a good wrestler. That match was a hell of a match. But I don't think that was the match of the year. Um, any of the other three, like if you had said that's your match of the year, I wouldn't have had an argument. There are some, I think I would have put ahead of this. I would have put Ibushi and Naito from Night 1 of Wrestle Kingdom ahead of this. I would have put Ibushi and Jay White from Night 2 ahead of this. Um, Okada and Osprey would have probably gone ahead of this. Maybe the triple threat from WrestleMania? I, I don't know. There's just so many really good matches. I just don't know if this is the one that I would have voted as the match of the year. I, I don't know. This year might have been actually the hardest year for me to say, this is the match of the year. Like, there are some other years where it's like, oh, it's a no contest. This one, oh my god, there was like six, seven matches you could say were the match of the year. Britt Breaker and Thunder Rosa, that one, eh, I don't know. Alright, Faction of the Year, uh, the Inner Circle win the award, 29% of votes there. The Elite were second at 20, the Bloodline third at 19, and Bullet Club fourth at 7%. I probably would have gone with the Elite on that one, to be honest. Tag Team of the Year. This was a very close one. 3% separating the winner and second place. The Young Bucks, at 24% of the votes, won the award. Uh, the Lucha Brothers, second at 21%. The Usos, third at 12%. And the New Day, fourth at 10%. Um, yeah, I'm fine with it. I would have gone either the Bucks or the Lucha Brothers Tag Team of the Year. Eh, that's fair. The Woman of the Year, uh, 31% of the vote, Britt Baker winning the award. 
Uh, Bianca Belair, second at 24%. Mickey James, third at 8 And Deanna Perrazzo, fourth at 7 Uh For me, it was either Britt or Bianca. Either one of those two would have been a fine choice. And the final category, the Wrestler of the Year. 37% of the vote went to the winner, Kenny Omega. 25% to second place, Roman Reigns. And then a tie for third, Bianca Belair and Big E at 4%. So Bianca and Big E getting some love for the Wrestler of the Year. Very good job for the both of them. And then finally, uh, two recipients for the Stanley Weston Award. Basically, it's their kind of version of like a Lifetime Achievement Award. The recipients this year, Ron Simmons and Terry Funk. Excellent choices for that particular award. But AEW pretty much dominating the Pro Wrestling Illustrated uh, year-end awards. It'll be very interesting to see how they do with the Observer Newsletter Awards. Uh, they'll be coming out, uh, my guess is probably within the next month or two. So, on that note, that's going to do it for the show this week. Uh, going to get to the plugs right now. If you guys have any questions or comments, send an email wrestlingman at thatwrestlingshow.com I will read your emails on the show and I'm actually checking right now uh, no emails this week but if you got any questions or comments send them my way wrestlingman at thatwrestlingshow.com don't forget to check out our Twitter follow us on Twitter at wrestlingshow11 follow us on Instagram at thatwrestlingshow and join the Facebook group that Wrestling Show Fan Club, we have over 500 members on our Facebook group, and we talk about wrestling and other fun stuff. Speaking of fun stuff, check and his jump from WCW to the WWF. Plus, it is week two of the Royal Flush of the worst Royal Rumble matches and a review of NWA Florida from January 5th, 1985. That is this week on our Vantage Point. Also, check out Greetings from Allentown with Peter Langst or. <laughs> God, I almost messed up his name. Peter and Keith E, they get together. Uh, this week, they do another GFA Live where they watch WWF Superstars from January 18th, 1992, the day before the Royal Rumble. So check that out. GF GFA Live with Peter Winson and Keithy Langston. See, I got the name right. Hooray, I got it right this time. Um, also check out... Uh, the Sportscasters with the 24-inch the 24-inch podcast hosted by Steve Bennett and Dave Rollins. They take a look at the career of the one and only Hulk Hogan. This time around, they discuss the January 4th, 1986 Saturday night's main event match where Hulk Hogan put the title on the line against Terry Funk. That is this week 
on a 24-inch podcast, which you guys can find via the Sportscasters podcast. And check out Memphis Continental Wrestling Cast with Luke Jennings, the number one UK uh, Memphis wrestling podcast, as he watches Memphis wrestling each and every week. For non-wrestling-related podcasts, check out the Best Pick Movie Pod with John, Tom, and Jess. This week, they discuss the movie Titus. Um, They watch and discuss the movie Titus. That is this week on the Best Pick Movie Podcast. Also, check out the Castle Vault. This week, they discuss the 2019 movie Captain Marvel. That is this week on the Castle Vault. On Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, it is part two of their interview with art director Doug Haverty from Scotty Bros Records. That is this week on Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. Check out Escape from Vault Disney. They got a bonus mini-show this week with more outtakes. And check out the Three Stooges throwback with our former guest Gabe Russo as he discusses the 37th Three Stooges short, We Want Our Mummy. That is this week on the Three Stooges Throwback. Also check out Eliminated, a Royal Rumble podcast this weekend where myself and Jim Boy Star are joined by special guest Bruce Hazelwood as we discuss the Honor Rumble from Madison Square Garden. I was at that show. I was there. Uh, So you're going to get my thoughts and their thoughts on the match as well. And don't forget to check out Sharks Pond, a South Park podcast where I watch and review each and every South Park episode. A new one's going to be up this weekend. Uh, I will be reviewing the season 14 episode, Poor and Stupid. That is this week on Sharks Pond, a South Park podcast. Okay, next week is going to be a special Saturday edition of that wrestling show because I'm going to AEW Rampage next Friday night. So I'm going to give you guys my thoughts on everything that happened next Friday night at AEW Rampage plus some more wrestling news. Hope you all have a good, safe weekend and come back next Saturday or next weekend, I guess we could say, for another episode of that wrestling show, the podcast where all pro wrestling matters. And just so you remember, everywhere you look, everywhere, there's a heart, here's a heart, I'm here to hold on to.